Well, you can see on the screen a whole host of uh, issues related to our day, related to our generation. In many ways, I could say really are related to every day, related to every generation. Um, but just as you peruse the list of items, um, I want to ask you a question. How important is it to you to consider what Yahweh has to say about the issues of our day? How important is it to you? And don't answer that quickly and lightly. But I mean, in all reality, how quick are you to consider and to go after considering what God has to say about uh, the whole host of issues and items of our day? And along with that, I would ask, do you know what Yahweh has to say about these issues or uh, a number of these. And I'm not talking about what someone else has told you. I'm talking about have, have you dug into finding out what God has to say about issues like these and issues from his word. And, and along with that, what if after working through some of that, you actually go, you know what? It seems like God and I kind of have some different thoughts on this. When that happens, not if. But when that happens, uh, what happens? Uh, whose way wins? Is it Yahweh's way or is it in fact your way? The reality is, is that a lot of things about God are rather odd. In fact, with that, I would ask you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. A number of things about the Lord are a bit odd, hard to uh, run through our own head and, and grab a hold of. And last Sunday, we talked about one of those. Never in my life did I think I would have the opportunity to preach a sermon centered on circumcision. <laughs> Talking about odd. Um, but we talked about that last week from the standpoint of what really was going on is God wanted to deal with some stuff in, in the Israelites' past. I love that about God. Uh, God knows what's taken place in our past and in our present, and, and I love the fact that God wants to work with us and work us to resolve issues of the past, and that's really what God was doing. So he had God's people deal with a situation in a rather odd kind of a way, but yet it made sense, sort of. And I would encourage you to, if you're in Joshua chapter 5, look at verse 9. We looked at last Sunday. It says, today, God says, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. You see, there was a disgrace item in their past, and it was, it was, it was a, a reproach item in that terminology. As we talked last Sunday, it's like God, uh, when they responded, God took that whole issue, rolled it away. Man, what a wonderful God. I mean, it's kind of like God gets on this giant divine bulldozer, and he says, all that junk can be taken care of, and he just like gets on that thing and just, and he just rolls it away. What an awesome God. But what's so cool about it is that God didn't say, you know what, just think harder. Uh, just uh, power of positive thinking, have that cover over it. Um, it wasn't that way. God dealt with it. And how cool is that? Even when things are odd, God knows exactly what he's doing. Let's pick up in chapter 5, verse 13. Here we go. When Joshua was by what? 
Jericho, the city of Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man who was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. I love that. We'll come back to that in just a second. But I am the commander. I am the captain, capitan of the Lord's army. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter six, verse one. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Let's just pause there for a little bit. Uh, what's going on here? Big picture. Well, beginning at chapter 5, verse 13, uh, they're right in Jericho's backyard. Chapter 6, verse 1, it gives us this picture, uh, this idea that, that Jericho is just like all shut up, closed up. It's, you know, you think of like a battleship and, uh, you know, maybe with, uh, you know, computer graphics today, it's like, there it is. And it's like, conk, 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 type of a thing. And everything's closed up, locked up. Everyone's, why? Because they're ready for battle. This isn't like they're all inside necessarily. I mean, they're closed up, locked up. And at this time, Jericho uh, was the, was, uh, and actually in history, was the oldest walled up city. And at this time, I think, is when Jericho was really at some of its peak of its awesomeness, if you will. And so it's like, boom, 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 lock up, shut down. Everything's closed in. And I think the reason that the author is telling us this is letting us know, actually, the Israelites are in trouble. Because when have they ever fought a battle like this before? Not like this. I mean, they've had a little bit of experience in battle so far, just a little bit, but nothing like this. And I think the writer is helping us to see that this is almost like a David and Goliath kind of a setting set before them at the time. So what happens? Well, verse 13, Joshua sees this battle-ready dude standing there. I mean, he's walking in, in the backyard of Jericho, and all of a sudden there's this guy, and he's sword drawn, and there he is, and he asks him, I think a very good question. Are you for us? Or are you for them? Um, good question. And I love the response as we already saw. What's his answer? No. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm about neither. I'm actually, Joshua, I'm not about your thing. And I'm not about their thing. This is just a great statement. It's a great reminder to us. You know, it's kind of like, you know, is God about Baptists or Methodists or non-denominational or harvest churches or whatever? And I'd say the answer is no. Is God a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent? No. Doug, wait a second here. You're... you're Look at, the, look at the statement or the question that Joshua asked. I, I would say this. It's a very horizontal statement. It's a very horizontal question. And, and this guy picks that up. 
Joshua, rightfully so, is, I mean, he's there and he's asking them, listen, are you for us or are you for them? And he's like, no. What's the answer? It's ultimately, I'm for Yahweh. So he says, no to your answer. Man, how succinct and powerful. I wish I could get after that. (laughs) And then in it, he answers the question by his title. What's his title? I am the commander. I am the captain of the Lord's army. That's what I'm about. And this guy takes this horizontal question, which we all understand, and we would all probably be asking, and he takes it to the vertical, but puts it out on the table. Doug, you're getting too picky with this. No, I don't think that I am, because the details matter. Uh, I think actually what's going on is it helps us to realize, listen, when we do life, when we think life, when we talk life, we are so horizontal just by nature. Just by nature, and me too. And here is a one from the Lord who's like taking it vertical, taking it vertical right away. So who is this guy about? He is about the Lord's thing. And I love the next statement. Now I have come. I could spend some more time on that, but won't today. Other than just this, it's not yesterday was the time, not tomorrow's the time or next week's the time, but now's the time. And let me say this. It's the perfect time because there they are. They're about to go to battle. And God shows up in his time. Listen, listen, Harvest, there is a massive truth for us. I want to drive home here and just really camp out on this for the rest of our time together. And it relates to this. First, I'm sorry to say this, but uh, life is not about your thing and life is not about my thing. What's being said here is life is, Yahweh is about his thing done his way. In his time. That's what's happening here. Yahweh is about his thing done in his time, done his way. But I don't like that. (laughs) I get you. But let's just think about this. I don't like that because, man, that sounds awful selfish of God. It's like, it's about my way, my thing, my time. Wait, Wait a second. Why are we upset with that? Why why are we upset that God is about his way, his time, and his thing? Why? Because honestly, I want life to be about my thing, my way, and in my time. And we have a clash of interests here. Yahweh is about his thing, and I'm honestly, you are about your thing. And all of a sudden they come together, and we don't like the fact that God's about his thing, his way, and his time, because I want life to be about my thing, my way, my time. But may I remind us, he was here first. So he's got dibs. <laughs> Literally, may I remind us that God is God. And you and I are not. And when we say within our hearts, I want things my way, my time. Um, who's God now? We are awesome at trying to be our own gods. So what happens next? Well, hey, Doug, aren't you going to talk about who this guy is? Okay, just briefly. Um, Many talk about, and I actually would hold the view as well, that I think this guy 
is uh, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is the second person of the Trinity. Two reasons that I think that. Number one is because Joshua falls down and it says that he worships him. Angels don't let that happen. Angels are servants. Angels are not to be worshipped. Secondly, we're going to read here in just a little bit. I think the story continues on into chapter 6. And it says, the Lord told Joshua. I think this is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But know this, Joshua didn't know that. And so we're going to kind of keep on going with the story. But knowing the rest of the story, can I just say this? How cool is that? Our Savior has been involved since the beginning So what happens next? Well, Joshua responds to this guy, verse 14. How does he respond? He responds, number one, physically. He falls on his face to the earth. Listen, that tells so much right there. He falls on his face to the ground at this guy's feet and he worships. That position gives this clear idea of submission. I mean, it's not like, come on, let's wrestle it out. This isn't a Jacob moment. This is a Joshua face to the ground at his feet. And that whole position just shows. I mean, if I I go like this, what are you thinking? It's not about me. It's about you. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Okay, I mean, that's what's happening here. He's down, feet to the the position, submission. That's the attitude of heart. He fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped. And then he asks a question. Oh, this is so key. What does my Lord have to say to me, his servant? There's a killer question. Listen, put it, write that out on a post-it note and plast it everywhere you are. And be asking that question. What does my Lord have to say to me? And I began our time by asking, Uh, Are you really cranked up? Are you really serious about asking the question of, Lord, what do you have to say? Do you consider what Yahweh has to say about all things of life? And by the way, the man responds and says to Joshua, take off your sandals for you're on holy ground. Such a tie to Exodus chapter 3 with Moses. But can I just say this in kind of a pictorial reality? All of life is holy ground. Because all of life is about the Lord. And so all of life, if you will, is to be holy ground unto the Lord, our face down. Lord, what do you have to say? What do you have to say about the situation right now? I mean, right now with what's taking place in my life right now, God, what do you have to say? What does your word have to say about this, Lord? Let me process it through. Let me think it through. Wait a second, God, what do you have to say? (laughs) Preparing this week. I'm burdened by how honestly little I do that in a full scope of a day. Face to the ground. Lord, what do you have to say about this? And then there's a chapter break. Ugh. Ugh. If you're new to the Bible... um, God's word is inspired. It's, it's God's words for us. But the chapter breaks and the verses aren't. Uh, when the original human authors were penning this down, they didn't put in chapter breaks and the verse breaks. And I actually think this is a bad chapter break. 
because I think the story continues on. So here's what I want for you to do. Two things I think will help you uh, with this here. Number one, at the end of chapter five, if you write in your Bible, and I'd encourage you to do that, at the end of chapter five, just take a little arrow from the last verse and take it on down to your first arrow. If you have digital, you can't do that, can you? (laughs) I won't go there. I love God's word in all forms. Okay, but bring that down. So when you read, keep going, keep going, all right? And then the other is in verse one, put a parenthesis around verse one, okay? Now, now with that in mind, let's go start at the last verse of chapter five and read because uh, here we go. Uh, verse 15, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Wait, if that's the end of the story, where's it going? It's, he showed, this guy showed up, he falls on his face, asks the question, he says, take off your sandals, and the story's over. What? I mean, honestly, it doesn't make any sense to, to this. And so I think the flow of this and other commentators as well, uh, next verse 1 is a parenthesis statement. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. This is given a parenthetic piece of information. Now verse 2, chapter 6, and the Lord said to Joshua. I actually think that's the rest of the story. Okay, so let's read the rest of the story. Verse two, and the Lord said to Joshua, face down, wanting to know, and the Lord says to him, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Uh, By the way, I wonder right there when he says this, see, uh, uh, because they're in the backyard, I really wonder if this guy goes, see, see that? I've already given this into your hand. It's already got a sold side conquered already. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall hear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before. Okay, catching the flow here? Now let's remember the story. There they are about ready to take Jericho. All of a sudden, Joshua's on a walk or whatever here, and all of a sudden, this guy shows up, and he falls to his face, worshiping him, and and then he responds, hey, what do you have to say to your servant? And then he says, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And I think then it continues on here, and uh, the Lord tells him how to do this. Now, let's take a look at what he says how to do. Okay, Joshua, you're to do this. You're to take the military... And you're to go walk around the city or encircle the city. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Uh, You're to do that one time for how many days? Six days. Okay, so go on a little hike. And go around the city. And seven priests are to be carrying seven ram's horns uh, out in front of the Ark of the Covenant while each day while this is happening, Joshua. That's what I want for you to do. And then on day seven, Joshua, I want for you to do the city walk, but do it seven times on the one day. And then uh, with the seven priests, then at the right time, they'll blow the horn and they'll they'll blow it for a long time. And and when the whole horn blows, then all the people will shout. You know, we'll talk next to you about that, but I don't shout what? Like, ah! 
you know, how, whatever that is, or VeggieTales, they throw slushies or things like that. But in this, they go and they walk around and the result is all the walls come tumbling down and they go walking in. <laughs> Pause. This is bizarre. This is seriously just bizarre. So you're telling me I'm going to go get the military guys and we're going to go on this walk and we're going to walk around and we're just going to walk around the city and that's it. And then again and again and again, six days of that. And then we're going to go walk around seven times. This is so unmanly. Are, are you kidding me in this? I mean, I'm the kind of thing where it's like, listen, I'm bringing the studs out. We want some meat. We want to throw some stuff. We just, come on, we got to do some things. So what does Joshua do here? Let me give you some suggestions after he hears this from the Lord. Because really, when you think about this, I don't think we we just take it for granted and we don't think how odd this is. Well, here's a couple possibilities. Joshua could have gone back to his tent into his study and he could have pulled out his volume on the history of war and war strategy and gone through it and, 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 and saw all the different kinds of war strategies that were used in this kind of a battle to see if that makes sense. Didn't do that. Here's another one. He could go and pull his Physics 101 book out, turn to chapter 7, take a look at it, and, and, and see some analysis on what happens with uh, sound waves and matter. And he could have evaluated it, the type of sound waves coming out of a ram's horn. And could the sound waves in that, you know, kind of like break the stone down like some woman screeching and breaking a glass or something like that. No, he doesn't do that either. Here's another one. He could have gone and he could have grabbed his Psych 101 book and taken a look and, and see if it gave analysis on what happens when you go and you play with people's minds like that over a week. And then at the end, then you blow these horns and evaluated its impact on their id and ego and superego. He didn't do that. Or he could have been like me. I really wonder if I just wouldn't have gone, are you punking me? <laughs> Seriously. Come on. This is kind of dorky looking. We're that way with God at times, aren't we? I'm supposed to love my enemy? So what does Joshua do? Let's just take a look at two more verses. This is for next week, but take a look ahead. What does Joshua do? So Joshua, uh, verse 6, chapter 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Friends, God's provided us with the ability to think and to process and to work through issues. He's created us with the ability to even create things and to consider and to act. And Joshua could have said, I'm doing it my way, man, because your way seems pretty ridiculous. But what did he do? He did it just the way the Lord told him. Even as dorky as it sounded. You know, we have a tendency to want to God, God. 
We, we, we were not created to lord over the Lord. We are not to slice and dice the Savior. To, to uh, think that God is like a buffet line. That we can pick and choose what best satisfies our own personal palate. Really what we want to do is we want to whittle out our own Yahweh. And create our own God. We actually want to create our own creator. You do. And I do too. It's just in us, isn't it? We want a buffet line, God, rather than just fall down on our face to the ground and ask the question, Yahweh, what do you have to say? How often do you do that throughout your day? Take off your shoes. Fall down. Lord, what do you have to say? Isaiah 55, for the Lord's thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways his ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are his ways higher than your ways and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, there there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasing, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. And then it goes on to say. Always learning. And yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Oh. Before we push that off on, yeah, other people do that. Man, that is us. That is within me. And it is within you. Friends, each of us for our own lives, we are in a battle for the truth in our very own lives every day. Every day is a battle for the truth. Whose way is it going to be today? Whose way in this situation? We don't have a lack of God speaking to us. We've got everything we need to know 
for life and godliness right here. You don't need one more word from God, one more epiphany from God, one more dream from God, one more miracle from God. We have everything we need to know right here. We do not have a lack of information. We have a lack of desire to know God's information. And Joshua here illustrates what it looks like to be someone who genuinely is in a place to where it's like on my face before the Lord. What do you have to say? How important is it for you to know what Yahweh has to say? It's time to rustle some feathers. I want to push all of us a little bit here. I'm not trying to get at anybody. I'm just trying to have us think. Okay? Love you. Creation. Doug, last week you alluded to seven literal days of creation. Are you serious? I mean, that is so outdated and just so unscientific. Dude, you're a dork. Um, okay, I know that. But let me just push back a little. Just consider. Just consider. So science is the starting point. So science is to be then the centering point. No consideration given to the impact of the flood on the, quote, laws of nature. Folks, people living, and yet the flood and the, the catastrophic movement of the earth, unlike we can't even imagine, it wasn't just like a rainy day and it got really rainy for a number of days. I mean, the whole earth was shook to its core. And we're not going to consider the fact of that massive kind of an impact on what it could do to the laws of nature and in, in result of how readings might come out. Are we at least going to give it some thought? Theistic evolution. Man, some really great, great theologians are take on that. But I would just push back with this. So death came in before sin. Do you understand that? In the evolutionary problems of millions and billions of years, that means that death had to exist because animals and trees and stuff live and then die. But wait a second. I thought the Bible says that sin brought about death. Just, just, just asking, just asking. And then what about in uh, Genesis chapter one, it uses the term day. I understand Psalm 90 says that a thousand, Lord, a thousand years is, is like a day unto the Lord. But do you realize that the word day that's used in Hebrew there is used 70 other times just in the Pentateuch. I'm just talking the Pentateuch. It's used 70 other times in the Pentateuch there. And in those times, every one of those times, 70 plus times, it's always referring to a 24 hour time period. So Genesis chapter one jumps out of that. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. How about the local church? I'm so out on, on institutionalized religion. It's filled with hypocrites. People who have hurt me, disappointed me. By the way, church history isn't necessarily something to be real proud of. I hear you. I understand. But I just asked this one question. So then does that mean that Jesus Christ is out on his bride, the church then, as well? I understand from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is all about his church. Oh, but Doug, we're talking out. No, I'm just asking. 
the purpose of life. Life is about one's happiness. You only live once. Just do it. Dr. Bon Jovi, awesome song, you know. It's my life. Life is about happiness, really. So who defines what that looks like? And is it really about personal happiness? Is life really about that? Yes, next sheet. Marriage is so outdated. I mean, it's just a man-made institution. It's just a legal institution. Let's just live together. Plus, then we can see if we're compatible. Plus, it saves a whole lot of hassle and a whole lot of money. What does my Lord have to say about that? Marriage, it's about two people in love for mutual happiness. Really? God sees marriage as being centrally about two people who love each other and are happy together. So what happens when one or both aren't feeling so happy? What then? Show me in scripture where marriage is about two people in love for the purpose of happiness. What about Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3? I would think in there in creation, God would have something to say about the whole institution of marriage. Is that what it says? What about Ephesians chapter 5, where it says in Ephesians chapter 5, marriage is to be a picture of something. Is it a picture of two people being more and more happy? Is that the picture? No, that's not the picture. Dig it out. If it's about two people uh, in mutual happiness, then then what's, what's the big deal about people getting upset about gay marriage then? Hey, how about we just get on our faces? And dig out what the Lord has to say about something that he created. How about we do that? Sex. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Premarital sex is no big deal. I mean, everybody's doing it. We're going to get married anyway. The whole purity thing. It's just kind of silly. Old-fashioned legalism. Come on. What's up with that? Now, that's a great question. How about you go and see what God has to say about it? Because friends, guess what? It's much, much more than good girls and good boys don't. It's way more than that. Heaven, hell, eternity. A good God wouldn't send undeserving people to hell. Hell's only for atheists and for bad people, like people that are more bad than me. There is no hell. It's figurative in the Bible. We just cease to exist upon death, annihilation. Really? That's what Yahweh says? Here's one. My personal devotions or quiet time. I took 15 minutes to read my Bible today and pray and check. Done with that one. Now I'm in good relation with God. Seriously? That's what relationship with God looks like? Hey, you know what? Maybe sometimes we Christians need to bag the devotion and the quiet time for a little bit to enter into real relationship with the Lord all day. Hey, we can be legalists. It's so easy. There are multiple ways to God. The Buddhist, the Muslim, the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness, the Pantheist, the Hindu, the Sikh, the Christian. They're all on their way to the same God. Think about that. Just think about that because, friends, that's ridiculous. 
utterly ridiculous. Two big reasons. One, because the authority sources for those completely disagree with that, including the Bible. The Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And it does have a definite article in there. It doesn't make sense from their own authority sources. And secondly, if that's the case, God is an utter schizophrenic. And how loving. I mean, he's all over the place. I wonder what he has to say. Just a couple more. Education. Public school, Christian school, homeschool. Good Christian parents send their kids to Christian school. Good Christian parents have to homeschool. No, no. Good Christian parents, they make sure that they provide a wide experience of life for their kids, and you can only get that in public school. How about we just step back and go to the Lord and ask the question, and maybe God has some things even to say about that, parent. Politics. The answer is politics. Christians must be involved. Or... On the other end, Christ is the answer, so Christians, keep your money, keep your stuff, don't waste your time in politics. I would think that the Lord would have something to say about how his people should interact with their their culture of their day, don't you? How about you dig into that? Because God has some serious things to say about it. Life and death. Abortion, euthanasia, cloning. Do you think the Lord might have to say anything? But I open my concordance and I look up the word cloning and I don't see cloning in the Bible. Really, we're going to stop there? How about we go at the whole scripture and just dig it out? War, famine, poverty. You think God has stuff to say about that? How about money and career? God doesn't have anything to say about my career. Really? Really? Why a good God would allow bad things to happen? Now, there's a great question. How about we dig in and find out on that one? Does God have anything to say about singleness? Does God have anything to say about remarriage? Does God have anything to say about divorce or parenting or addictions or depression or anger or hopelessness or sin or repentance or forgiveness or whether God is in control or whether God even cares or not? Because, Doug, you have no idea if God is in sovereign control. You have no idea the stuff he's allowed in my life because, frankly, because what he's allowed in my life has been a living hell. I think God would have something to say. And I don't mean to crush you, but to tell you about him and who he is. I would just ask, fall on your face at his feet, Lord, what do you have to say to your servants? And even if it's dorky, and even if it doesn't make sense, and even if I wrestle with it, I choose Yahweh's way. Lord, uh, thank you for our time. I want us just to finish here, Lord, by reflecting on some of what you have to say. 
1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Lord, I'm so thankful for the statement. Matthew 11, uh, Jesus said that he is a friend of sinners. Oh, that gives me hope. Because otherwise I'm doomed. Lord, I thank you for the encounter with the woman caught in adultery. And you make the statement, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. <laughs> and rightfully so, they all walk away and then you say, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. God, these are passages that give us hope. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. God, we can't pick and choose. Revelation 22 says, I warn everyone who hears the word of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. God, may we not whittle Yahweh out. May we not whittle you or carve you out, slice and dice you up, pick what chooses our best palates, just allow ourselves to ultimately God over you. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? More of that, Lord. More of that. May that be the attitude of our hearts. Face down. Lord, lay me down. Because we are proud at the center of our being. Submissive to your thing. Submissive to your time. Submissive to your way. Submissive to your truth. We need to seek you, Lord. We need to seek you. Right, Harvest? Lay us down, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.